So Sarah, we have a friend riding with us today. I'm so excited. I know. I, I hope we're not going three arrests on the road because that's, you know, that's frowned upon. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take our turns having somebody in the draft. Exactly. You know, a little group ride here. Little I could always use someone to draft off because I never ride my bike. So this is very <laughs> helpful. Um, okay. How about we do like a couple clues and see if folks can guess. Oh, I have a good clue. Okay. If you're Ooh. listening right now. Okay. The person who is riding with us today um, taught me or helped me to incorporate the word folks into my vocabulary instead of saying guys, instead of saying the gender specific guys. Nice. Do you have a clue, Sarah? Uh, my clue is that this person has recently done a happy hour. Oh, good clue. Good clue. <laughs> Not really. You put me on the spot here. I did. I totally put you on the spot. Okay. We won't, I know you're all dying right now. We won't keep you waiting any longer. Our, our, our ride buddy today is Dr. Lisa, Lisa Ingerfield, but we're going to drop the doctor for the rest of the <laughs> for the rest of the podcast. Um, and she, Lisa is originally from the UK and she has Lisa, just like jump in if I get this wrong. She has her PhD in intercultural communication. Is that mm -hmm. correct? That is correct. Yeah. And she is my co-founder in the Women in Triathlon Summit. She's also an age group triathlete and a coach. And so that will be all for boring introductions. <laughs> now we're going to ask Lisa um, some random questions. Okay. Uh, can I go first? Yeah. I have one. Go for it. All right. Since we're going for a ride right now, what do you have in your jersey pocket for snacks? Um, I have honey stinger chews, honey stinger waffles, and then bo I think it's called Bobo. <laughs> Might be wrong there, but it's a Boulder, Colorado company. They make little I don't even know what to call them, but they're like oatmeal snacks that have peanut butter and jelly inside them. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. who's Bobo and why is he in your pocket? <laughs> That's a funny name. You're a vegetarian, right, Lisa? Yes. Yes. I think it's Bobo. I might be getting it wrong, but yeah, I, I bought a ton of those last year during Thanksgiving, during the sales. So I have like oodles of them. They're actually very challenging to eat while racing because they're quite dense. Dry? Are they dry? Yes. Yes. And so breathing heavily and eating them is not recommended. <laughs> if Bobo needs some sales and marketing advice, I mean, maybe the name Bobo goes well with people. I don't know. <laughs> well, we don't okay. have the backstory of who Bobo is. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a horrible job. Sorry, Bobo. <laughs> no, this podcast is not brought to you by Bobo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now it never will be. Um, okay. Here's like, here's my question. I've like, we don't usually talk about triathlon that much. Do we Lisa? I'm wondering like, uh -uh. what's your fastest time for an Olympic distance? Like, do you know your PRs? Are you someone who knows that stuff? No, not total time. I, my fastest, uh, Olympic swim is 27 minutes. Um, and then bike, I think might be like one twelve, one ten, one twelve. but it depends on the course, right? Like, whether it's hilly or flat or whatever. And then my run, I'm always crap out on the run. So my runs are anywhere between 49 and 53 minutes. Those are some solid times. Yeah. So. I know I, one time, the first time Lisa and I swam together, her coach was like, no, no, you said her coach was like, see if you can push her a little bit. I'm like, okay. And then, so we were doing some 25s, six, <laughs> 20, it was 25 yards too. We did the 25s and Lisa's like, oh, I usually do about like 24 seconds for these. Da, da, da. Boom. We push off the wall. 19. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needs a pretend training partner or something. Every day. Yeah. I guess swimming on your own isn't the, isn't the greatest way to improve. <laughs> She just really wanted to beat you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I should say too. <laughs> that lasted for one one twenty five, <laughs> and it probably dropped dramatically. <laughs> All right. So my my second question for you, Lisa. Before we started recording the podcast, you were discussing the mountain of books you have. That's all very serious reading. Mm -hmm. What's the last book you read for pleasure? Do you remember what it was? Well, I guess those serious books are for pleasure. <laughs> Okay, the last novel you read. Um, well, I kind of started one called The Sympathizer, 
that got, I think it was oh, called yeah. Surprise, but I've mm-hmm. gotten only a couple of chapters into that one. And then before that, um, gosh, I don't know. I remember, I don't know. It's so bad. I remember reading The Count of Monte Cristo, which that was a great, that was a really good book. Um, but that was a while ago. The sympathizer's yeah. good though. Okay. Cause I found it a bit slow to beginning, which yeah, is why I've struggled to get through it. Um, but I need to persevere. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. I don't know. Readers. If you, if you have to force yourself to read a book and especially if it's a book for pleasure, I think sometimes you have to give yourself permission to just not read it and find a book that will grab your attention right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. You have a lot to do. You're a busy woman. <laughs> don't no, force yourself to read. Don't force it. I need to read. Yeah, I, I, I'm horrible. I'm listening to books on tape. That seems to be more effective on dog walks. When I was, yeah, when I was working on my PhD, I found it really hard to read in the evening. This is like, this is like in the dinosaur age before, like you couldn't choose what you're going to watch on TV. It was like either like what was on the four channels in the UK <laughs> or nothing (laughs) or you had to read or find something else to do and I really struggled and that's actually I know we're gonna like this is gonna come a bit later but like that's when I started reading like children's literature (laughs) because I'd spend the day reading like some really dense academic texts and studies and stuff and I just was done with it and so I like that's when I read I read the entire Harry Potter collection at that time I read I started reading like um The Secret Garden and other kind of like you know like the well-known children's books but that were clearly designed for ease of <laughs> ease of reading don't knock you ya you know mm-hmm. young adult literature can actually tackle some pretty heavy subjects the, i think there there's some good ya out there for sure yeah. if anybody mm-hmm. wants recommendations i read way too much <laughs> okay, my i'm last- not opposed to you know mixing in some books that are intended for like middle schoolers whatever don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment on our on our rides. Um, okay, my last question. My question is related, Lisa. What what podcast do you listen to? And you don't have to say if we were riding, although you do have to say if we were riding. <laughs> if we were riding, good answer. Um, so, this kind of goes along the same lines as the book. So I'm like a massive fan of the New York Times, the Daily. So I listen to that pretty much every day. Um, it's cause I get a lot of my news from them. And then there's a cool podcast called 99% invisible that talks about design. And so it started fairly, um, narrowly, like in terms of design around architecture and things like that. And then it's broadened out significantly. And so some of my favorite episodes on that one, there's one about the sports bra, the design of the sports bra that they became, they began as a jockstrap and, um, the design of the contraceptive pill, the packet that the pills come in with the, you know, the 21 pills and then the seven um, placebo ones, right? So there's a whole episode on that. And then I just listened to one about um, a col- the color black, the darkest color of black that's been invented and how it doesn't, it doesn't let in like 99.6% of light it doesn't reflect. So when you look at it on a 3D object, this color black, it, the object looks flat because there's no reflective qualities to it. So, Weird. Yeah, there's an episode about that. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, very interesting. I know. So it's all you, random stuff. You're like you're always my you're my go-to with stuff like this. Like the, I started listening to the daily sometimes because of you. Um, you like, you like source it out and I just like leave it to you. You mm-hmm. should, yeah, maybe, maybe we should do the Lisa newsletter. Like where <laughs> we, where we funnel in through like the Lisa lens, all the content and then just send it out. <laughs> I think people would be into that. I, I think Lisa's know. busy enough. She's thinking, <laughs> I don't want more on my plate. <laughs> I don't know how popular that would be. <laughs> well, we can, we can balance it out with my YA suggestions. So let's there go. <laughs> There we go. We could, oh, we could combine you guys. You could like be like podcasts and podcast by Lisa and uh, fiction by Sarah True. How about that? Sounds good. Great. <laughs> cool. Okay. For the rest of the show, we have a great episode coming up. We have two voicemails from listeners. Uh, we navigate a conversation about cultural appropriation, white feminism as it relates to triathlon, 
and then how we decompress. Hey, Sarah, what's, yes? what's that in your hand? Oh, I'm um, drinking a nice uh, Cab Sav in this evening's recording. Oh, how about man. you? What are you drinking? I have some noon rest because it's nine o'clock at night. I'm ready to go to bed after this. Well, at least one of us is going to be well rested and hydrated after this recording. We are so grateful to Noon Hydration for their sponsorship of this podcast. And if you want to get 30% off, you can go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN, plural women, as our sister podcast. You can use that as a code and you will get 30% off your next order at noonlife.com. I'm Sarah Gross. And I'm Sarah True. And you're listening to If We Were Riding. Sarah and Sarah, it's Kimberly. I'm calling in response to last week's episode, but I'll preface this by first commenting on the current moment where so many talking points reference the importance of being uncomfortable and of having difficult conversations. I think one of the things I'm most uncomfortable with myself is addressing cultural appropriation, whether in the form of objects or traditions or words and phrases. Um, and I bring this up because the phrase spirit animal is one of the pain points that's been expressed by indigenous communities. As I understand it, it's not about the general concept of selecting animals you admire or that have qualities that resonate with you, but rather it's the specific term itself that creates this tension. So for the nations where this term has significance, it references something sacred to the cultural tradition, and then when it's taken out of context, its meaning feels degraded. Um, and then this is further complicated, um, you know, kind of in light of the treatment of indigenous populations, things including forced assimilation and ridicule and erasure of identity. Um, and then on top of that, it then sets a precedent where a casual application of the phrase deviates even further from its original significance. And then mainstream usage paves the way for things like claiming other humans or claiming inanimate objects as your spirit animal, um, you know, which is often meant as a joke, but can end up feeling deeply disrespectful to some. And just as a caveat, I'm paraphrasing what I understand based on commentary that I've read, so this isn't my personal experience. Um, my aim in this message is to bring up awareness about the term in particular, but on a broader level just to ask the question, what is the best method to increase cultural awareness within the white community in a way that hopefully doesn't invite defensiveness or confusion um, so that we aren't subtly and inadvertently undermining BIPOC experience. And many of us, most of us I hope, um, have the aim to broaden inclusivity within sport and triathlon and one way we can do this is perhaps by moving to normalize this kind of conversation so that it doesn't feel taboo and awkward. Um, maybe it's not awkward for you, but uh, I feel often very uncomfortable, you know, kind of bringing this to people's attention. So um, anyways, I welcome your thoughts or ideas around this and, you know, hope that I can invite more people to uh, kind of brainstorm on how we move forward through this. Uh, thank you. Kimberly, thank you so much for that voicemail. So we, we actually got a few responses on social media, which were on a similar vein. And as the person who brought this up uh, in our previous podcast, you're absolutely right. You called me out on using a term, which is co cultural appropriation. And thank you. Um, you know, I think we all need to be open to having these sorts of discussions uh, and not get defensive when we mess up. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate that some listeners took the time to discuss this with us because you're right. I think we, we underestimate how often uh, these sorts of things get incorporated into our daily language and we really have to be very cognizant of it. So thank you. Um, I don't know what, what you, uh, Lisa or Sarah, have to 
have to add to that, but I'm sure it's probably pretty similar. Yeah, I had actually had a thought um, because well, actually when I heard when the first person reached out on social and Kimberly, I don't know if it was you, but I'm grateful for your voicemail and for everyone who reached out um, that actually the term spirit animal has become had become so normalized in my version of English that I actually didn't realize that it was cultural appropriation until it was like I didn't I wasn't making that connection at all. Whereas like there have been some other, there's a couple times actually recently where um, I wanted to, in my brain, I wanted to use the term totem pole to reflect a, um, like somebody with either being at the top or the bottom of the totem pole is how we will typically refer to it. And I realized as I was saying it, you know, and I, and I pulled it back. Um, but that like, interestingly with spirit animal, it just didn't like the flick, the switch didn't flick for me at all. I didn't, um, yeah, I didn't know. So it's like an interesting process in terms of how language then becomes reappropriated and then we're not even associating it with its original mm -hmm. meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that language is really important. I talk about this all the time because um, language conveys power and it conveys marginalization and it can erase people as much as it can um, give life, right? So, and the one thing I would say, um, Sarah with Kimberly is that you said, thanks for calling for her calling you out. I actually think she called you in. And this is a distinction that um, I talk about a lot when I teach is that if someone articulates something that is uh, problematic or offensive in some way, like calling that person in and asking them more about the use of the term and doing so in a thoughtful way is much more effective at engaging in dialogue than calling out, right? Like you think about how we, like what immediately comes to mind when you say, I'm going to call someone out, right? It's a, a little bit more antagonistic and mm. um, forceful perhaps. And there are certainly times that that is required, but I just thought Kimberly did a really good job of, um, engaging with the subject and then explaining her rationale in a way that they're just, or at least for me, I mean, I wasn't um, the person who articulated spirit animal, right? But it sounds like you didn't get defensive at all, Sarah, when she shared that perspective. No, I, I, th I think you, you make a really good point that it really is, it's calling somebody in. So it's, it, it requires a willingness on both, uh, from both parties, you know, from me as the recipient, um, you know, to be, to be open to feedback and to be open to, you know, learning new information and changing the way I speak, but then a uh, an openness on the other side where it's not an attack. It's, it's a way to just share information that that person has acquired, share a way of uh, thinking about the worlds that, you know, makes us all grow together. So, yeah, I, I really like that. I've never, I've never heard, um, you know, calling somebody in, but I, I'll try to remember that one. Thanks, Lisa. You know, also you just made me think of, sorry, this just popped into my head. My head works in yeah. mysterious ways, but like <laughs> um, that when someone calls you in on something, I think it's a representation of um, their value, respect and care for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have a friend who is um, experiences marginalization, so, you know, as a white woman, perhaps I have a friend of color or I have a, a friend with disabilities or something like that, right? And I say something that's problematic. If they take the time to talk to me about it, that means they're invested in my uh, relationship with them and my capacity to growth, right? Because it's incredibly challenging and tiring if you experience marginalization to constantly go to people. Did you know this about that language? Or when you mm. did this, it hurt my feelings. Or did it, you know what I mean? Like constantly feeling like you have to do that. So folks who experience a lot of oppression in that way often will choose who they have those conversations with. So I think if someone's choosing to have that conversation with you, I think that's a representation of the value they, that you hold in their life. And so I know you probably don't know the, the voicemail caller, but I think it speaks to then the value she places in this podcast and the value she places in the two of you in terms of the time that she took to give you that feedback. Yeah. I, I hope that our listeners definitely feel comfortable, um, you know, calling us in, in the future. So I realize I, I have slipped sometimes and used, hey guys, um, you know, these things, the way language enters our daily lives, it's, it's so insidious and we forget that these words have power. So, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to make a TikTok every time I, I slip, but 
If I do, I hope Sarah at least says something because she's learned from you. And it's, it's all of us, you know, working together as a, as a group to try to mm-hmm. elevate ourselves. Well, please make a TikTok every time you slip. No, no, I can't <laughs> promise that. That would be amazing. You got a little too excited by that, Sarah. I know. I do have, okay, I do have, oh my gosh, this is tying together so sweetly for me right now because, okay, I want to ask our audience about something. I'm looking for some Spanish-speaking audience members, and this is completely along the lines of not quite cultural appropriation, or maybe, not sure how we define that exactly, but um, I made a misstep with a Spanish language this week that we caught before anything that anything went public, but I would like to know a perspective on, on this particular thing from a Spanish speaker from Spain, preferably, because apparently the word is used a lot in Spain, but, um, but also any, from anywhere, um, if you have a perspective. So here's an, and it was on TikTok. <laughs> so here, here's what happened. There's a, there's a, on TikTok, there's like little dances that go around, right? And there's a one super simple one uh, where you, where I, it doesn't matter what it is. It's super simple, but like the whole lead up is, is part of the point of the TikTok. So I saw this one where there's like a guy who's like the fire, a firefighter and he's just in this wide open road and he just like walks into the screen, right? And then when the music starts, he does a little dance. He just walks in. It's very like vast and, and interesting. And I'm like, as like the videography of it. And I was like, it would be really cool if we did one where we swim in, right? Um, we swim into the, to the, frame we stand up and we do the little dance in our wetsuits and we have a new wetsuit partner with orca right so i'm like okay we're gonna do that so out ellen and i go (laughs) we do our we do our swim in right we do the dance badly as we do um but the the word the only like audible word in the dance is coño do either of you speak (laughs) spanish based on Sarah's reaction there. I feel like I'm picking up something. Sarah, Sarah clearly knows what that means. Yeah, don't use that. So, That's a naughty word. It's a naughty, it's a naughty word for female it's, genitalia. Yeah. I've learned. Um, but it's like a pop song, right? Like this is a song like that. It's like this is a popular song. I don't yeah. know. I don't know about the song because I don't listen to Spanish music. <laughs> But we were like, oops, the daisies. And oh. funnily enough, Ashley, <laughs> Ashley caught it because she speaks Spanish. Thank um, goodness. Yeah. So, so that was kind of a funny one. But I, I respect that you, your team took the time to realize that there was language attached to what you were doing. We <laughs> sort of took, we accidentally oh, had after, someone after who- After the fact, <laughs> you, you still, you caught it. <laughs> but it just in time <laughs> yeah so if they're yeah don't use that word please <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe we don't need any more voicemails we've heard it from uh, sarah <laughs> they, they, they throw it around in spain a lot but there there's also a lot of um really problematic uh slang in in Spanish from Spain. Um, I can't speak to other places. Um, so apparently, well, like, it's... yeah, that word's only really used in Spain, or it's used in yeah. other ways in in other Spanish-speaking countries, right. but not yeah. in the same way. Um, no. So it means. So like, I'm not sure if maybe the song comes from another Spanish. Like, I don't know if in the context of the song what mm. the word means, but yeah, I do know that some Spanish speakers will hear it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we had, you know, we had also a message from someone on Instagram who gave us an alternative for the, um, the spirit animal. Um, what, what was that, Sarah? Patronus. So this is, this is something that I've been thinking about because, um, if, if you follow these sorts of things, uh, so Patronus comes from the, the Harry Potter world. Um, most of us love Harry Potter, uh, but J.K. Rowling, the writing, the writer, has been um, rightfully. Uh, she, I was going to say called out, but it's not called out. Called in um, about her, uh, the way she speaks about trans individuals and whether or not they are. Uh, she argues uh, about whether or not. How do I even talk about this? So she's, she's part of 
TERF, um, which is trans exclusionary radical feminists. Is that is that correct, Lisa? I'm getting a head yep. nod. Yeah. Okay. So, she, and a lot of the way she talks about what it means to be a woman is very exclusionary towards trans women. Um, and so my question is, so as somebody who wants to be an ally or somebody who is an ally of trans individuals, here you have a very public figure using their platform um, to be exclusionary of an entire group of people. I do love the Harry Potter world. I don't want to support her. I feel very conflicted. So even something as, as simple as, okay, do I now, now talk about a Patronus? But that's part of the Harry Potter canon. Like, how do I navigate this space? I mean, it's, it's really complicated where I think a lot of us are trying to be supportive and sometimes being supportive means being very aware of uh, sourcing of uh, where we get you know, sourcing of, of information, sourcing of products and like putting our money, putting our energy uh, and taking it away from people. Does that make any sense? That was a really long, I'll let the two of you, you're, you're far more eloquent than I am. So, but I, I was trying to sort through this and it's really hard. I, I don't feel comfortable uh, using Patronus for that reason, but also I feel very conflicted because I, I do love that world. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Lisa, tell me what to do. I can't tell you what to do. What I can say, what I can say is, is there's a lot, there's a lot of tension there because Harry Potter is extremely popular with a lot of people. And ironically, the story of Harry Potter is about inclusion versus exclusion, right? Because you have muggles and the way that they're treated. And so you have this purity um, uh, thread throughout the whole series. So it is kind of funny. Um that J.K. Rowling would express such exclusionary beliefs given kind of the, the thrust of the Harry Potter novels. I mean, I will say that Harry Potter is like horribly white, right? And does engage in a whole bunch of um, racial stereotyping. Um, so there are lots of problems with Harry Potter, but I too love it. And I, the conversations I've been involved in or I've been reading about it is that Harry Potter for a lot of people has been very transformational and for members of the trans community, um, Harry Potter has actually been really good, right? It's been a really um, important text for them. And to the extent that um, some characters are believed to be trans. And so it's, it's tough because what you're saying, Sarah, is right on, right? You don't want to support JK Rowling and her opinions, but Harry Potter has been such a huge part of your life and is really meaningful. And so I think where folks are coming down on it is that you can still love Harry Potter, the story and the messaging, and you can still think about the characters um, as queer or trans, and you can still engage in the story without supporting JK, right? You can be, you can straddle that uh, to both end, right? You can dismiss and um, denounce her and her perspectives while also appreciating the value of the stories because the stories me are so meaningful, right? Like each of us read who, for folks who've read it, each of us read those books and drew such a personal experience from it, that that's a relationship we have with the text. It's not a relationship we have with JK Rowling. Right. So I see that as distinct. And the, the, on the flip side, one area where we can be very strong advocates is where we put our money. Mm -hmm. So every dollar that I, you know, I put towards Harry Potter goes to JK Rowley. It's just, these things are, are not easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if I, if I don't have an alternative to Iron Man, you know, Iron Man is pretty much as a professional athlete, like that is the game in town. It's not like I can go and race other series. Maybe I could do some challenge races because I find, you know, Iron Man problematic. Um, and we're, we're all trying to figure out where to put our money because that is a very effective way mm -hmm. to make change. But I don't see everybody boycotting the Harry Potter universe. I don't see everybody boycotting Iron Man. Um, yeah, it's, this, is, this isn't easy. No, it isn't. So if, if we have, <laughs> yeah, 
if there was a if there was a, an alternative you know series or it would make it a lot easier because then it's a or b who do i support which which company has core values that i i want to put my money behind Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, I think but you don't have an alternative. It makes it hard. Yeah, it is. It is especially hard when there's no alternative. I think it's it's choices in this regard are kind of gray. Like there's no just there's no absolute right or wrong. Um, and an interesting one that's um come out the last couple of weeks is around CrossFit and Greg Glassman. Mm. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, but Greg Glassman. I mean, to summarize very quickly, the CEO and founder of CrossFit made some. Uh, flat out racist comments on a on a zoom call and was called out um and then and then some crossfit gyms across i mean around the world were like denouncing crossfit and actually stepping away from their affiliation with crossfit which cost them about three thousand dollars a year i think um and then the um guy the guy who owns the gym that i go to um decided to draw a line between greg and him and CrossFit. So he, so he made a post about like Greg's views are not our views. And within a day of that, which I thought was like an interesting, like, again, gray middle, like making a very clear statement about, I don't agree with what Greg said, but we agree with the, you know, the values of CrossFit. And then Greg was asked to resign and resign. And now CrossFit has a new CEO. So CrossFit themselves dissociated from Greg. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have this interesting, like, cascade of things happening um now crossfit has all kinds of has all kinds of problematic things like um what do you call it like social things attached with that could be like unpacked and if if i could get in there and have a look at how they run the company i mean it would be amazing or or even better lisa yeah there was a really good article i i don't remember where it was but i i read it uh i think over the weekend about the terrible culture they have there about uh in regards to gender um and it sounds like it infects every every level so yes it started with the ceo um but it's it's so deeply ingrained into their corporate culture about objectifying women and the women who are hired what they're subject to and the amount of sexual harassment i mean it's would that change the perspective of the gym owner? You know, now that you can't just pin it, it's not just racist uh, comments made by the CEO, it's corporate culture. Does that change things? Yeah, I, I have no doubt that there's a ton of, <laughs> there's a ton of misogyny base, like baked into the, the, mm. like the corporate culture of CrossFit. You can see because, you know how you can see these things and maybe this will help us circle back to Iron Man is that it, it comes out, it's, it comes out in the way that things are like, so when I'm, when I go to CrossFit, one of the first things I became aware of is that a lot of the hard workouts are named after women. Right. And as someone, and, and as someone, they have some reason that they made up like how, about how strong women are, but you know, that's not the real reason, right? Like, you know, that they didn't, I'm like, this is somebody's freaking, and it's probably Greg, <laughs> like bed post, not just in someone's bed post. Right. Like these are, these are probably named after like, women someone slept with. I, I have like zero doubts about that. Um, yeah. So like even stuff like that, like it's like you can tell me that it's named after women because women are so strong, but like I know that wasn't your original reason. Like I've lived in a sexist world long enough to, <laughs> to know that. Um, and I'm sure, you know, tons of other women would make that observation. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think similarly with Iron Man, like here you have a company that has, well, first of all, like a gendered name. Mm right? Like you have a, you have Iron Man. How do you, and, and then when, when that gendered name is brought up with their CEO, which I have had a few conversations about this, he is not at all, he doesn't care. He's not at all interested in having that conversation, right? Um, so you know that there's, and additionally, I mean, I'm, this is like becoming the Iron Man ex- expo- <laughs> exposure podcast. But um, when when we used to do have Tri Equal, you know, I would hear from women who who either currently or used to work for, for Iron Man um, uh, on certain topics. So you know, I know that the it may not be as bad as CrossFit. I would guess it's probably not. But you know that the corporate culture is not is not um, it does have some sexism baked in. 
basically. Um, and you see that that comes out. And the reason you know that and the way it comes out is like they started a program called Women for Try. Couldn't figure out how to couldn't figure out how to include all women <laughs> into that group, ended up with a big explosion and shut it down. Did they did not handle that properly because they're not because they don't care. Um, and so, yeah, sorry, Lisa, did you have, did you have anything to add to that? As I rant again? <laughs> no, I just think, I think the point is that it's challenging, right? When you're an aspiring ally, um, to groups who experience oppression in our culture and our society, like that does require of you to give things up. Right. And that doesn't feel good. Like, you know, Amazon is pretty awful in the way that it treats its, um, mm. employees. I mean, we know this, right. And yeah, people continue to buy from Amazon and continue to feed Jeff Bezos wealth. Right. So stop buying from Amazon, right? Like you have to kind of put your money where your mouth is, I think. And that's one of the hardest parts of allyship for people who have um, privilege. So for, you know, people where it's, you're not affected by, you don't work in an Amazon warehouse. Maybe you don't know anyone who works in an Amazon warehouse. So this um, poor treatment of employees is abstract and different and separate from you, right? So you're not connecting that with the purchases you make from Amazon, right? In the same way that someone who enters an Ironman race is not necessarily making a connection with I'm giving Iron Man $800 for this race and that's fueling the monster. Do you know what I mean? Like that's fueling the inequity. So yeah, perhaps, I mean, it's a little different for you, Sarah, because this is your career and your professional um, health and well-being is based on Iron Man. So it's a more complicated, but for the average age grouper, like where that is not, it's not about your career. It's about something you do on the side as a hobby. You absolutely could stop funding Ironman, right? You could, because there are other full distance races that you could do. So, but it's, so that's the question. Are people willing to make that sacrifice? But that's what it, that's what it takes. And it's hard, right? So yeah, maybe you don't give JK Rowling any more money, right? You don't buy anything else that she does, but you can still have a personal, personal um, connection to the Harry Potter genre, right? That can still be meaningful for you without you um, contributing to her wealth. I mean, I guess I've already owned all the books, so she's not getting any more money out of me. But, <laughs> but it, I mean, it is something for all of us to think about is, is whether or not we like it. One of the advantages of our privilege is that we do have resources we can allocate uh, to certain companies we want to support or not support and just mm -hmm. being really mindful of that. Yeah. I mean, the power of the purse, right? Like yeah. we live in a capitalist country for good or for bad, primarily for bad. Um, like, so you have that power and that's why it's things like donating to organizations that are working for racial justice or gender justice or whatever that meaningful thing is for you. Give you put your money there, right? Like if you have the money to put somewhere, that's where you can put it. Yeah. Um, I think that's where the conversation about like, about privilege comes into play, right? When a lot of folks have a misunderstanding about privilege and of course like unpacking your own privilege is an ongoing process we don't there's no answers but like if you're in a position where you're financially able to make a choice other than amazon right then 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 you have a privilege and and you have more your buying power there's more power there um if you don't if the cheapest option is on amazon and you absolutely have to take the cheapest option all the time then then that's different right um mm -hmm. or well, what was the example you gave there lisa um oh sorry i lost it oh about donating money mm. right so like there's a choice even within your even within a, a if you have a certain amount of financial privilege um you still have a choice like you could take some some of your extra money and give it to a charity right but maybe that would leave you in a position where you still had to order from Amazon. Um, you know, so, you know what I mean? So there's like, there's definitely like, everyone's always going to ha still have these choices and there's no, I, I definitely see it as gray, but I think it's more about being mindful, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Is more the answer. Like, you know what your choices are, you know my, why you made your choices. Mm -hmm. And, and then that's it. And doing, doing the research. I think mm. yeah, that's part of that mindfulness piece is, you know, before, before you make a big purchase, really maybe looking into the company's values. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, before, before you point. buy a CrossFit gym, you know, 
exactly you know i just want to i just this thought has popped into my mind i just want to circle back to the original um voicemail from kimberly about spirit animal and then the alternative is the patronus which got us onto jk rowling right i'm like actually sitting here i'm thinking is the the concept of the patronus right which is an animal that is used as a protector um against the dementors right like that concept actually could have been drawn from like JK could have actually pulled that concept from spirit animal. Right. Mm. And just called it something else. So Mm. then is it really an appropriate alternative if embedded in kind of that concept in the story is actually still cultural appropriation? I don't have an answer for that. It just popped into my head. But I think this is, Oh, sorry. Oh no, you talk. I was just going to say, this is where it gets really hard because things get recycled. Art is, Mm. art is recycled. You know, very little, we think about all the things, so many of the things that we love in modern culture, and it's, it's just repackaging of things that existed prior. Um, and that, that can, there can be some really problematic, like, origins to some of those things. <laughs> and also, what, like, what is the new, if we don't use, if we can't use Patronus, and we can't use spirit, like, what is the new spirit animal? Like, how do we talk about that? Mm. Right? Well, I mean, maybe white people shouldn't be talking about it because like she said, right, that it's a sacred concept and the more that it's utilized in everyday mm. talks or in white people's talk, right, the, um, she says it's degraded, the meaning is degraded is what Kimberly said, I think. Mm. So like, so maybe it isn't about an alternative. It's just that we stop using that, um, that notion, right? Because there is no unproblematic way to use it because if you name it something else you're still essentially drawing from mm. a sacred belief that is not yours to draw from i'm tempted to launch into a debate but i think we should move on um okay so so we do have another voicemail um from megan who was responding to our episode two weeks ago about iron silence so let's hear from megan hey sarah and sarah i uh just finished listening to the iron silence uh edition of the podcast and um, actually, as somebody who watched the dumpster fire, and that was Women for Try Explode, finally, um, I just say, I want to say, I really appreciate it. Um, some of the history, some of which I knew and some of which I didn't, and really helped me unpack some of that. Um, and unfortunately, not give me a, a lot of um, belief in the future of Race for Change either. Um, let's just start with the I'm a white American woman who has benefited from the programs of Women for Try, so I have appreciated it. Um, I have had a lot of personal problems uh, with uh, the group itself, um, both on and off Facebook for some of their focus, I would say, um, specifically um, and skew towards white women and sort of white Feminism, for lack of a better word. Well, it is the best word right there. Um, and it's really hard for me to call it out um, historically because I am a white woman. But, you know, one of the things I think that the current time is showing us is that we have to call others out. We have to call ourselves out and we have to continue to try to be better. Um, so this statement these statements are made with the full assumption that I have a lot to learn and a lot to do better, um, no matter how much I think I'm trying. Um, that group has had some issues for a long time. Um, we've run other diverse groups of women out of there, both specifically singular women and, um, and also sort of genres. And um, and I'm saying we because I was there and I tried to speak up, but I didn't fight hard enough for change. Um, and I will say that while there were a number of moderators on that um, group who I know and have met and, and admire, I had to call bullshit on the, you know, dropping out and dropping the gauntlet and just saying, hey, that's not how I feel, and I'm not responsible for that. Because, first of all, not only were Black Lives Matter's posts deleted and comments deleted, but 
pretty obviously racist and not even borderline racist, racist comments were left. So um, if you're deleting tons of things because they are political and it's not a political space, then you have to be stringent about that on, on across the board. And also, if you're a moderator, whether it's volunteer or not, and those things are jumping up and they've been jumping up for years, then shame on you for not taking a stand sooner um, or be, trying to be part of the change. And if you can't be part of the change, you should have left a long time ago. And then the last comment I will make is that um, I do believe the Race for Change uh, board and committee will be volunteer as well. There's a sign up form to volunteer to help. Um, so sounds like history will repeat itself over and over again. Anyway, thanks for being brave and uh, keep up the good fight. Love you guys. All right, Megan, thank you for the voicemail. You, you did a great job of really summarizing, um, you know, the, the debate there. You know, a lot of us didn't know much about Win for Try. And I think uh, the more we learn about the origins, we, the more we learn about what actually is happening in the, the, the forums, um, you know, the better off our sport will be if we talk about these things openly. Because um, I, you know, I didn't know much about Win for Try. I had no idea what was happening with the moderators and with the Facebook um, feed. So this is, I think this is really good for all of us who aren't privy to that information to discuss openly. Yeah, I, I really, um, I like that Megan brought up the concept of white feminism, because that's something yeah. that, um, that's something like that really our sport could use a little magnifying lens on because, um, well, because we're white, <laughs> but I wanted to unpack first, like Lisa, do you have a good definition of what white, what is she referring to there with white feminism? Yeah. I mean, I would say that, um, putting, labeling feminism white is, is actually calling out the fact that historically feminist theory has been preoccupied with the needs and desires of white women. So middle, upper class, straight, able-bodied white women, right? Cisgender white women. So, but it's never had white in front of it. It's just had feminism. So the kind of underlying assumptions of the feminist movement is that all women are the same and all women have the same needs in terms of social change, policy, um, appreciation for their work, et cetera, et cetera, and equality under the law. But that isn't actually true. And so feminism historically has centered the needs of white women and by naming it white feminism, it's calling that out. It's pointing to the fact that it's an exclusionary train of thought. Is that, did that do it? Totally, totally. Yeah. So what's a, what's a better alternative? Like what's a better lens? Well, I don't think, so, okay. So I think that feminism, feminism is an important social movement, the women's movement, but it has to be intersectional and inclusive, right? So you've got like, a bazillion iterations of feminism over the years and you've got the waves that people have heard of right and they may or may not be useful but now more now than ever we have theories or positions that are intersectional feminist transnational feminist that do a better job of integrating race class gender globalization capitalism patriarchy colonialism right looking at the woman a woman's experience that is at the intersection of all of those things that are happening and not assuming that one woman's experience is all women's experience right mm -hmm. and so feminism tends to default to the white experience which is what women for try did right like the rah-rah we just need to be equal which doesn't address some of all these other layered systemic problems that affect women's lives mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because like when I say I often say like, oh, you know, I studied feminist theory or methodology as part of my PhD through history and like, but actually what I mean when I say that is that like studying feminist theory in the 90s, that intersectional piece was, was in like that the idea that like we can't, uh, we can't have a better situation for women if, if we don't bring all women with us, like all boats rising together or whatever that phrase is. Um, <laughs> that, you know, like that's, um, you don't step into feminism 
with more than half a foot before all of that is right sort of right behind you into like a lot of the you know you don't hear like apart from the very very early like the very very early feminists who were the first ones to kind of go oh wait a second it's not really fair for us <laughs> like we have these problems and they spoke their experience first and then behind them you know black women indigenous women said oh but wait that doesn't represent our voices you know and then feminism shifted um so when i say that i kind of like so it's interesting to me that that still um that that kind of still Mm-hmm. exists or that you see like when to me that's like very clear like that's what I that's how I learned what feminism is is that it's like intersectional and if we don't have if we don't include all women's voices and experiences then we're all lost so, although the 90s I wouldn't say the intersectional feminism was pretty prevalent so if you were learning that in the 90s that was pretty progressive because Kimberly Crenshaw didn't coin that phrase until 89 90 yeah not by that word sorry but by mm-hmm. but by concept yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go Edinburgh. Weren't you in Edinburgh? Didn't you? I was, do- yeah. I was in Edinburgh. You know. <laughs> nice job, Scotland. <laughs> Shout out for the Scots and feminist thought. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay. I think, thank you, Megan, for your voicemail. That was, um, that was really good. Anyone else who has anything to say on these topics, we are obviously all ears. Um, After the break, we're just going to talk about how we decompress because after tough conversations, sometimes we need that. We grossly, as in, in a big way, and truly want to thank our sponsor, Noon Hydration, for supporting If We Were Riding. If you love us or even kind of like us or maybe just like our content, you can make sure we grow through our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And also make sure you talk to us on Instagram at if we were riding. We love talking to people on Instagram, especially on the stories. If you want to send us a voicemail, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to Sarah at livefeisty.com. That's Sarah with no H, me at livefeisty.com. And remember the I comes after the E if you're feisty. We also love reviews on iTunes and written messages from you joining the conversation. If We Were Riding is a Live Feisty Media production hosted by Sarah True and me, Sarah Gross. Our editor and producer is Taylor Mahan. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. So Sarah, let's, let's, talk, let's start with you. How do you decompress? Uh, no, I, I am not as cerebral as Lisa, so I'm not you know, thinking about serious things all the time, but I, I try to think about these things frequently. And yeah, I think like everyone, it, it's good to really just not think about it, um, to allow ourselves the energy to put more focus when we want to be really mindful of it. Um, so what do I do? I bake a lot. So this, <laughs> this week I made three totally ridiculous, elaborate birthday cakes for my nieces and nephews and one Ninjago pinata. Um, yeah. So it was far too many hours of just baking and, uh, spending time making something um i'm not familiar only to be with. completely destroyed i mean <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what i i'm not familiar with that type of pinata oh so i didn't know what a ninjago was um before all of this there's this whole world of of legos that is ninja themed and i'm sure that i know nothing about this given our discussion I'm starting to wonder about, we're talking about pinatas. So we call, yeah, we call what about ninja. <laughs> that's, well, I'm saying multifold. So pinatas and ninjas. Um, <laughs> but this is what my five-year-old nephew wanted. So I don't know. Is it my role to, edu- I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's what I've done all week. Um, I just, I like making things because you're very much invested in the moment. Um, and I think that's important. You know, fun fact, I did watch a documentary on Lego. 
<laughs> because my brother was a big Lego fan and my partner was a big Lego fan when they were growing up. So we watched this documentary on it. Um, it's pretty much all white dudes who yeah. run Lego and make Lego. So I don't, yeah. So <laughs> not Lego too. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I'm like, oh, wow. This explains a lot. <laughs> I feel like we're not doing a great job of relaxing right now. Uh, decompressing. <laughs> okay, baking. 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 <laughs> Definitely decompressing. Lisa, how do you decompress? Oh, apparently I'm horrible at it. Um, well, I kind of, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I need to think about this stuff all the time. Um, but to varying degrees, because Sarah has a good point, you can't, if you burn yourself out, then you're not going to be an effective change agent. Um, so I actually have um, an interest in sci-fi and superheroes. <sighs> so I do watch all the Marvel and DC comic TV shows and films. And I know there's like so many problems with them, but I just suspend my critique. <laughs> um, parentheses, why did you kill off Black Widow? That's very annoying to me. But um, so that is something. And Dave, my partner, is always laughing at me. And I say to him, you tell me that I need to relax and have some fun. And this is my way of doing it. So don't critique my desire to watch Supergirl. <laughs> Who, who's your favorite superhero? Um... Wonder Woman. That's fair. Yeah, Solid. I like cha I changed my ringtone to the film um, awesome. song after like, I watched that movie. Wonder, Wonder Woman. No, 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 not that one. No, yeah. the, like dun, 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 that one. <laughs> you know, from the movie. Did you not watch the movie, Sarah? I don't watch them. <gasps> you all see. This is good though, right? Because you can put your money at the box office to movies directed by women who star women. So that you're doing a good thing and you're also having a moment of escapism because you are watching a superhero movie, right? So there you go. So it's amazing. <laughs> I, I felt good supporting that movie mm -hmm. for the yeah. reasons that you just said. Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of things like that, like Black Panther 2 and other ones. Yeah. Um, although a student in my class I just finished up wrote a critique of Black Panther and I was like, darn you, why did you have to ruin that for me? And um, I've ruined Disney for a lot of people, so I suppose what goes around comes around. <laughs> I'm actually kind of glad to hear you can suspend your uh, your judgment for a moment to be able to, I think we have to, because like, all of that, sorry, I know we're still talking about the same thing and we're trying to decompress, but like all of that conversation about choosing companies and that, it's like if you actually, you know, there's just so, so many problematic companies and things that, um, that it becomes overwhelming, right? So, mm -hmm. um, occasionally. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Superhero yeah. sci-fi. I used to paint a lot and I like photography, but I don't take photos and I don't paint anymore. And I need to get back to that. You will. You will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. How about you? Sarah? Oh, I've had, like Lisa, I've had trouble decompressing lately. Um, I think I, I think now exercise is in that category for me. And TikTok. So, Come on. TikTok, definitely. I was actually <laughs> trying to avoid talking about TikTok again this week. So I was going to stick with CrossFit and running, trail running. But you're right. I admit. <laughs> Hands in the air. TikTok also, like, and it's like, it's just so fun. Like, I do TikToks with my kid. Sometimes we don't even post them. We're just having fun doing dances to songs. Um, but yeah. And, and yeah, definitely trail running is really big on that list. Um, and CrossFit. I wish I could, I need a new, what I need is a new evening activity that's not quite as active as, as like learning a dance on TikTok um, where I can relax. Like I need, maybe needs, maybe, maybe that's just Netflix. I don't know, but I would like something else that relaxes me, but eventually something will emerge. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for riding with us, Lisa. No problem. It was fun. We decided that because Lisa's in Colorado, I'm in New Hampshire, and Sarah is in Victoria, we probably are riding somewhere in like Kansas. So I hope everybody enjoyed the Kansas sun and wind. Um, did we go for a gravel ride? Were we on pavement? What do you think, ladies? I feel like the long open stretches of road on a road bike would be pretty cool. There. Road bike? All right. Okay. Excellent. I also don't own a gravel bike, so there's that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for the ride. Well, this is an imaginary ride. Clearly, oh, yeah, we're zipping right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all in our heads. Great. Love it. Great.
could ride whatever bike you want because yes. you're not actually on one. Okay, I have my bike has wings. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Uh, we will talk to you next week. And in the meantime, stay feisty. None of you people can tell me to stop My town, my crown We know what it takes to be reaching the top We reaching the top We reaching the top We know what it takes to be reaching the top